This message is entitled Spiritual Strongholds and is given by Jack Taylor. Chuck and I are having increasing fellowship. We've been uh, running loose for several years sharing these truths and using different terminology. Now, I think, I think that's altogether healthy. I think stereotyped terminology leads into movements that have more identity as a power group than as an influence. And I appreciate the fact that I feel uh, unthreatened when I'm going to share with you some things today that, uh, that uh, may not be a part of anything as far as a uh, strict line of teaching that uh, has been identified with Grace Fellowship. And uh, that's a daring thing. And yet I feel that, uh, that Chuck is of the kind, and this influence is of the kind, that it does not demand absolute adherence to terms uh, for us to have fellowship. And I think this is one of the unhealthiest things afoot today, that if you use different terminology, we have to break fellowship. And uh, that uh, is simply not the way the Lord does business. Now, I am a part of a, of a system, and by the way, I did not share with you last night the third thing that God led me to pray 14 years ago. Uh, I prayed, one, that God would never let me go back on whatever it was that was happening to me. Secondly, I prayed that I would see it happen in the lives of others. And thirdly, I prayed that somehow he would make me useful in the life of the system of which I was a part. And, uh, of course, we bring into our ministries the background of our system. And uh, I want to do something today that... Uh, and I, I really think I'm, I'm looking for somebody to say, you're all wrong, stop it, and I, can, I won't waste my time any further pursuing it. Uh, or, I think you're on a line of truth, pursue it, you may have something to offer in the area. So you will take it as that. Uh, so far I haven't run into anybody that's proved it wrong, and so I'm just going to lay it out. And by the way, I appreciate your responses, that never ceases to be helpful. Uh, in, in saying something about the message. I appreciated what uh, this brother said. I've said to preachers before, that's a good sermon. I believe I can take it and make something out of it. <laughs> and I think that's in essence what he was saying. I remember some other comments that have come along the way. Uh, one fellow came to his preacher and said, Preacher, you'll never know what your sermons mean to my family, especially since my wife lost her mind. <laughs> and... Uh, uh, you know, some leave you sort of wondering what, uh, what they thought of it. Another interesting one was, uh, uh, the fellow said, uh, Preacher, I, I just want you to know that, ever, uh, that your sermons are like water to a drowning man. Uh, but probably the, uh, probably the most interesting one was the little lady who said to her preacher, Preacher, I do believe every sermon you preach is better than the next one. <laughs> the nicest way of saying you're getting worse and worse. I want to know how much time I have. Uh, okay, so I'll, uh, what does that mean? How much time do I have? <laughs> okay, that's good. All right. I, uh, of course, was forced into the role of a counselor's pastor, totally unequipped. And uh, thoroughly 
bound up in the doing things of a human way if you don't have the scriptural principles at hand. And then being uh, obligated, uh, obliged to try to shift with the change in my own life to uh, counseling procedures that were in line with it without having any help. And that's no small problem. But uh, I began to see some things that uh, I sought to begin to seek to square with the Word of God. And I want to share with you a concept that I have found to be tremendously helpful in the area of going on with Christ. And I do this for two reasons. One, I believe that every person here has need, even Chuck Solomon. You probably wouldn't believe that, but I, I really believe that. I believe that uh, all of us are going to discover during the next years, if Christ tarries, areas in our lives that will prove to have been almost unknown hang-ups that God in our time of growth will bring us even with, expose us to, and deal with them. <coughs> so that I really doubt if there is a person here today, if I'm right in my approach to uh, this area of truth, there is not a person here who is entirely free of some spiritual area where the life of God has not yet fully invaded. And I believe that uh, even today you may experience some freedom in an area where you have more or less uh, dropped the idea that you will ever have victory. Now I began to get this idea when uh, I noticed that uh, people had problems and uh, the answer wasn't in helping understand those problems. That's only a part of it. And uh, the answer was even more than uh, teaching an area of truth that they could believe and automatically uh, give consent to, that it was, uh, it was more than that. And I went to Paul's word from, uh, to the Corinthians in chapter 10 of 2 Corinthians and uh, began to live with a passage that uh, I seldom go a day without quoting, going back to, rehearsing, reviewing, and uh, walking around. Paul was uh, addressing problems in the church in Corinth. It was obvious to him that it was more than a problem that has to do that had to do with personality patterns. He recognized it more than just a problem of administrative uh, conflict. He saw it as a problem of spiritual strongholds that developed within the context of the breakdown of spiritual authority. His apostolic authority was being questioned. He saw all sorts of problems in the church, moral problems, personality problems, uh, personality cults, division over tradition, and division over uh, various other things. And so he recognized that he was coming against pockets in which the enemy had some influence. And so this is what he said. I can't see what he said. <laughs> Don't ever make fun of, uh, of things like this. About five years ago, I made the statement. I thought the silliest thing in the world was those little half glasses that you had to look over and look through. I went to the doctor a few months ago and said, Doctor, I, can, I wear two sets of them. I, I wear contacts. And uh, 
they fix me to see off when I can't without them, but they don't fix me to see up close. And so I said, uh, I have a problem. I told him my problem. He said, uh, how old are you? I said, what has that to do with it? I said, I'm 44. He said, that's your problem. So uh, I can see better. Chapter 10, 2 Corinthians. Verse 4. For the weapons of our warfare, not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ, having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is complete or fulfilled. And so let me, let me deliver my heart on, on two theses. One, that there is not a person here who is entirely free of spiritual strongholds. That's one. So with the, with the possibility that it just might be uh, uh, a scene of liberation this very hour. And two, that you are going to face across the counseling desk people who are there because of strongholds that have bogged them down in life and thwarted the expression of Christ through them, and they're there to have help. And I, I think seeing through this, uh, you can uh, be of great help. About uh, 16 years ago, uh, we had a touch of spiritual reality come to our church. I had been praying for revival because I had read about the results of great revivals in the past and had sought to be a student of, of revivals. And, and I, would, uh, I would read what happened in 1857 in America, what happened in the early part of this century in Wales, the uh, shock waves of which were felt around the world. And uh, I, I wanted this to happen, I thought, in my church. And so I prayed that God would bring it about. And, and you know, you'd pray long enough, uh, even though you don't even know what you're praying for, God will give you a taste of it, just test you. And so we had a taste of revival way back in about 1962 or 3, and scared us to death. There was panic. There was terror. And uh, uh, because I didn't know any better, it took me six months to gather the folks up and bring them back to a semblance of normality. And uh, that was, uh, that was uh, like counseling often is in heading a person off from a head-on collision with God. And I think that's what a lot of counseling is. They just want a second opinion. Uh, they've got God's opinion. They want a good counselor's opinion. They'll go, to, they'll go to counselors till they get one to agree with them. You heard about the fellow that went to the counselor and uh, or went to the doctor. And uh, the doctor uh, said, uh, well, I don't see anything physically wrong with you, but I'll tell you, I'll tell you one thing. You are crazy. You're just flat crazy. He said, there's no hope for you. You're hopelessly crazy. Well, he said, Doctor, I resent that. I'm going to get a second opinion. He said, all right, you're ugly too. <laughs> so uh, I think folks, uh, you know, are wanting a second opinion. And if they get a second opinion that'll prop up their flesh, that's all they'll need. And my people had an opinion from God. They wanted a second opinion. I gave the mistake of, I made the mistake of giving them a second opinion. But in the process of that, there, there was a young man saved. And folks saved in revival circumstances where the clear gospel is enunciated, make different sorts of converts. I found that to be true. And uh, he, he just, it, it was a problem. He got so saved, he was a problem. And uh, he caused me problems. 
And uh, he came to me one day and said, I'm not satisfied with the way I pray for the lost. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, I mean, I, he had been saved two weeks, three weeks. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, I, I just feel like there's more to it than, than saying God saved so-and-so. And, and, and he said, there's bound to be more than this. I said, well, I hadn't thought that much about it. And he got me dissatisfied on the way I was praying for the lost. <laughs> and I said, uh, well, the only thing I know is for us just to begin to pray together that God would reveal to us how to pray for the lost. And so we prayed uh, daily, apart, for about ten days. And one day he walked into my office, and he dropped a little tract on my desk. And he said, uh, now wait a minute, before you read it, I want to remind you, we've been praying uh, that God would teach us how to pray for the lost, right? I said, yes. He said, now today, I'm, I park at the uh, parking lot in the mall, get out. I don't ever look down. I look where I'm going. But today I'm looking down, and down on the parking lot uh, surface, this tract. He said, now you may look at it. And I looked at it, had no address, no author, no uh, indication as to where it had come from. And the title of it was, How I Learned to Pray for the Lost. Now since then, that has been published by Back to the Bible Broadcast, but I have no idea where the original came from. I, I thought what a coincidence that was. <laughs> and uh, I read it. Now you'd have to understand where I came from, where I come from, to know my reaction. I, uh, <clears throat> it, uh, it uh, was new, and I'm prejudiced against anything new. Uh, and it wasn't from Nashville. And uh, it, was, uh, it was just weird. And one of, the, one of the two ideas was this. Lost people are lost. Not through some accident, by, but by intentioned design. Their lostness has been plotted by the devil. He has a plan on how to keep them lost. You see, the, the advantage the devil has on us, there are millions of ways to go to hell. Only one way to go to heaven. And so, you can go to hell, just you, you take your choice. And so the devil has uh, multitudinous methods of deceit. And uh, one person may be held in uh, a uh, traditional setting of religious deceit. But he's just as lost as the one who is held by the chains of alcoholism. One may be held in the chains of morality. He features that he doesn't need to be saved. And indeed, he's a better man as far as humanism is concerned by nature than most of the people in the church seem to be by grace. But he is as lost as the guru who is totally committed to another kind of religion. And so uh, this, uh, this scripture was, uh, was thrown at me. Folks are lost because they are held in various strongholds. One may be held in a stronghold of morality, one in a stronghold of religious deceit, one in another kind of stronghold, one in a simple stronghold of procrastination. <clears throat> so, well, I really didn't take the, the truth immediately, but it never let go of me. And uh, I went to a meeting subsequently <clears throat> where a man who since has become a, a leader in our, in our particular setting, teacher in our seminary, was pastoring, and I, I shared with him the idea 
that if we were going to win people to Christ, we were going to have to reckon with the fact that we were entering a battlefield, not, uh, not a public relations problem. You see, we have prevailing the idea that people just get saved if you'll give them information. Nobody has ever been saved by information. It takes information plus a God-precipitated crisis that brings desperation and then revelation out of desperation leads to transformation. And that's the only way a person gets saved. And so we haven't schooled our, our uh, workers in, in personal work to uh, exert authority over the enemy or even to recognize that they're entering into a, a struggle where a person is held in the power of supernatural deceit. Now, I'm, I just shared that with you to, to give you the platform of how I first became acquainted. Uh, but we went on to, I went on to that meeting and I shared this with him. He said, well, that, that's biblical. And so we began to pray for people that, uh, you know, were pr prized prospect for revival. Uh, folks, you know, that get worn out twice a year on being prayed for and uh, getting visited. Uh, but once the revival is over, they, they can get some rest for at least six months. But uh, he, we just chose about six or eight of these, the hardest ones. One that they had prayed for for years, but who had never sensed any sign of conviction. Another that was a moral man whose family was in the church and whose home I was staying during the meeting. And so we began to pray like this. The weapons of our warfare, whether it be the living of the life, overcoming in our own struggles, or sharing with others and leading them to the light, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal weapons. We're dealing with more than information, more than public relation, more than... Uh, than just giving the church a good impressive face and inviting folks to come and feeling friendly. We have more to do than that. So, the weapons of our warfare, not being carnal, are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And so we began to pray over these people from this light. I, I've never seen anything like it in my life. Of course, he brought them up and I would, uh, and I would pray with him and we would pray and, and uh, the Lord would just seem to speak to our hearts about, you know, this person is held in a stronghold of of procrastination, the hardest one in the community was. He intended to get saved one day, just not now. And I'm convinced that most folks will go to hell that way, who at least are exposed to the gospel, and uh, be just as lost as the person who is, a, is an avowed atheist. And so we stood against, in, in, the, uh, in the power of the name of Jesus and the authority of the Word of God, that stronghold. Now again, I'm telling you, as I tell it to you now, it's still weird to me. And... Uh, and most of you agree with me, uh, at least some of you, I can tell. But uh, we prayed for that fellow one night. The next night he was in church. As far as I know, uninvited. I mean, without a real pressure. And I preached. And I heard somebody during the service going, Phew. Now that's not altogether new with me. I, you know, there are various signs of of distaste with what I'm saying, some just pure disregard and others looking at their watches and some shaking their watches and, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm used to things like that, but I don't guess I'd ever had anybody to be so pronounced uh, in a manner that everybody would notice it. And he was going, and I didn't know where it was coming from. And I, I, I just made a sign like I was getting ready for the invitation. And about the time people stood, this fellow shot out of the pew down the aisle uh, to meet the preacher. And it was this fellow that we, had praying, we were praying for. 
And we found out that the, that the very time we began to pray for him and began to come against the stronghold in which he, in, in which he was held, a stronghold of logic, why well, you've got plenty of time, a system of thought that said, you don't need to get saved now, certainly you need to get saved, but you don't need to get saved now, that all of a sudden the, that logic wall was broken down and he was exposed to the conviction of the Holy Spirit and he had had a terrible day. And he couldn't wait for me to get through. I really didn't need to preach. I just, I just said boo and he would have come. I, it wouldn't have made any difference. He'd have gotten saved. Well, now I came back with that and other things happened. The fellow I was staying with was in a strong, obviously a stronghold of morality. He was one of the finest men in the community. Why would he need to get saved? He was already better than most folks in the church and I agreed with that as far as the human view was concerned. But one night we prayed for him. We saw that. We came against that stronghold. And uh, he, came, he wasn't even coming to church. He wasn't exposed to the preaching. And uh, he was working on the night shift, got off at midnight. I simply talked to him one night as he uh, ate his meal after he got home at midnight. I didn't even invite him to come to church. I didn't press him with the gospel, but the next day came. I preached on a subject foreign to just strict uh, evangelism. I preached on the, on the ministry of the Holy Spirit and the life of the believer. Didn't even give an invitation. He walked out that morning, shook hands to the preacher at the door, said, Preacher, won't you know I took care of it today? You took care of what? I got saved. Now, that wasn't even an invitation. He wasn't supposed to get saved, you see. <laughs> well, that, that wasn't on the schedule. But he fell like ripe fruit when there was the recognition of the breaking of a stronghold. Now, I want to tell you something shocking. And uh, I just want to shift in, into, the, into the message for believers. Not every stronghold in your life went away when you got saved. And your life will be lived meeting areas where God's life will need to flood. But at the present time, there are strongholds that have centuries posted and much of your emotion and the pattern of your reaction unconsciously or consciously is to keep folks and God included out of that particular area because you don't like to think about it. And the fact is, the biggest fusses you have as husband and wife is when your wife, who knows you better than anybody else, gets too close to that stronghold and instead of facing it, you get mad. You say, how'd you know? Because <laughs> I just did. See? And vice versa. Now, uh, need to give you an outline. So I want to say that uh, even with the adoption of, full consent to, and entering into the truths of identification, it doesn't mean you've arrived. Amen. Don't be shocked that 30 days after the glorious victory of entering into the truths of identification and you, you enter into that life and what a beautiful concept. When you got eternal life, you've always had eternal life. You entered into a life that never began and will never end. It's just not an extension of your life. It's just not everlasting life. It is a quality of life bound up in Jesus Christ and your life ought to be an expression of that. But in the meanwhile, it is going to be a growing matter in which all of the hang-ups and all of the occupied territory is going to have to be taken over and flooded by this new life that is in you. And as long as you live in this body, that growth is going to continue if these truths begin to represent. And if you think, if you think you, you've enough truth to be a total expert, <clears throat> the biggest bust of your life is about to come. <laughs> right, God is faithful, and he'll bust you. He'll fix you. 
And, uh, and I, I think unconsciously many times when we enter into this, tell you what happens. We enter into this truth and there's so many people wanting to hear it that we become popular. We become useful. We become enamored with our own usefulness. And then we get the idea that, boy, everything people say about me is true and that's bad on either side. <laughs> your enemies will drive you crazy because, you know, they think less of you. And your friends will ruin you because they think too much of you. You don't have any business thinking of either one. And, and then enamored with your own use, useless, uh, usefulness, you, you just uh, you say, boy, you know, Lord, I guess, I guess those folks are right. I, I'm really something. And the Lord says, well, it's back, back to Sinai for you. There's <laughs> a wonderful little song out. I don't know whether you've heard it. Take another lap around Mount Sinai. You need to hear that. <laughs> Take another trip until you learned your lesson. And uh, you see, those folks needed just to spend two years in the legitimate wilderness. They spent 40 because they made a bad decision. And whether you spend two or 40 is up to you. But he's going to let you spend some time there and you learn your lesson. Now, I, I want to say what to say under three categories. Hmm. That's just my introduction, Brother Bob. That's uh, I'm good. One, the definition of strongholds. Two, the detection of strongholds. And three, the destruction of strongholds. I think we'll not need to spend much time in the area of definition. The word stronghold, you're aware that this is a statement that is fraught with uh, military terms. And we need to let our people know that when they start to walk with Christ, they're in a war. You don't have to choose to be. It's, n it's not an exercisable option. You are at war. Now, I uh, wasn't in the military. Uh, but I've learned one thing, I think, about military conflict. Never had a military expert to contest it. I, it is totally impossible to win a war if you can't find it. If you don't know where it is. <laughs> or if you don't know that it is. And so there are a lot of folks, in the first place, that don't know there's a war. Uh, they've never come, come to class. They've just never found there's a war. And then there's some who know there's a war, but don't know where it is. And so they come armed to the teeth at a deacon's meeting, a committee meeting, business meeting. You'd think in the normal church, that's where it is, the war. And some have graduated a little and feel like the war is out where you tell people about Jesus. But that's not where the war is. The war is in the area of prayer, where a person is what he is in prayer and nothing more. Uh, out on the field of service, uh, of course, uh, you just pick up the spoils of war out there. You win the battle uh, by, by accepting the victory that has already been won in the area of your relationship, who you are, discovering what and who you are. So this is a, a military statement, the weapons of our warfare, not carnal but mighty, to the pulling down of strongholds. That's a military word. And a stronghold is an entrenched area, a, uh, uh, a, a castle, a... Uh, uh, an area where uh, untruth is, where the enemy has entrenchment, a vested interest in, uh, in an otherwise God-owned territory to which the devil may appeal. Um, it is a point of interest to which the devil still has active attraction and has right of ingress and egress to a person's thoughts. And uh, it, may be, it may be entirely mental. It may be mental and physical, as some habits are, as most habits are. It, uh, 
It may have been ingrained from the beginning of life. Indeed, its roots may have started before life began. I think there's a difference, for instance, in, in the room the devil has in a lust-born child and a love-born child. I think the problems of many folks started, just like the woman who walked in my office and said, you may think I'm crazy, but I believe my problem started before I was born. When she uh, discovered later that uh, she was uh, illegitimate and that the devil had room to plant rejection even before she knew the cause of rejection. So it is any area of entrenchment by ideas imposed by your own thinking, by the violation of, of known rules, or by the opening uh, of neglect on the part of other people, even when you were young. So that we inevitably become a part of all that is computed into our minds, both correct and incorrect. And so the enemy, for instance, may plant a seed of rejection, as, as he did in the life of a preacher with whom I counseled in another state. And uh, uh, during the meeting, he came to one of those times when he was absolutely reduced to a, uh, uh, a depressed hook, and his wife called me and said, Now, I won't tell you what has been the case. Uh, he'll be going along fine, and all of a sudden something will happen, drive him inward, he'll stay in bed, he won't get up, he's totally depressed. And I said, Will he talk? She said, Yes. I said, I'll bring him to the room. So she brought him to the room. And he was absolutely the total picture, total dejection and rejection and discouragement and disgust. And I, I, I ask a question that I often ask. When was the first time you ever felt rejection? I think a better question may be, uh, who do you remember in your life who ever loved you totally unconditional? And I think it will surprise you how many people will say, I do not know of anybody that I feel like loved me unconditionally. You as a counselor may be the very first. But he began to probe in his mind and we discovered a time when he said, you know, now that I think of it, when he was less than five, and we don't have many memories past then, he said, I was standing, and my little sister, my, my older sister said to me, you know, uh, dad and mom wanted me. Then won't you? Broke down and started bawling. And there was room for the beginning of a stronghold. And from that time until this time, he had selectively received all that would agree with his lie and rejected all truth to the otherwise, unconsciously. So that brick by brick, picture by picture, the devil had built up in his life a system of thought that had become full-grown rejection. And... Uh, when we continued to probe, he said, you know, he said, that's a lie. Well, mom and dad through the years proved to me that they love me. And yet he continued to believe that lie. Now, let's, let's talk about him, by the way. He was, he was delivered. He was delivered. Um, in our church, when revival came, I saw the necessity of acquainting folks with the, with the activities of the devil. Very difficult to study the devil without getting off balance. We came to the end of that study, and uh, I said, Now, Lord, if, there any, if, there any, if there's any truth to demons, I, I want to know about it. I wish I had thought about that prayer <laughs> a little more seriously. And uh, he sent me somebody who, uh, who had difficulty. I didn't know what to do with him. And I, I uh, just tried what the Bible said, and it worked. Amazing. 
Alright, I run an expert. And then the word got around, and we got off balance in the area. Until I recognized that the devil has enough demons to occupy God's children all the years till Jesus comes, and keep them from the main things. That's right. So, uh, this truth was born out of, uh, out of that problem. And uh, I find that uh, whatever the problem, whether it's a hang-up emotionally, or whether it has developed into an area where a person has a real demonic problem, that the truths that we're rehearsing and reviewing these days must be applied continuously. And uh, positive health mentally is, is the issue. Now let's talk just a bit about, uh, about the detection of strongholds. Now you're going, to, you're going to feel that I'm picking on you in the next few minutes. But uh, if there are areas of continued excessive anger, if you have a pet peeve that somehow gets out of hand when, it's, uh, when your button is punched, uh, if there is repeated, uh, a repeated area of seemingly involuntary jealousy, or you have a little system of truth and when you see somebody that doesn't agree with that, you get angry over it. If there is a compulsion in which you seemingly have no choice, if you often say, I don't know what made me do that. If there are areas of your personality that you wish you could change and don't understand why, it is probably because of an area, an entrenchment in your life into which the full light of the life of God has never come. And uh, I, I'm convinced that, that it works like this. The enemy has many areas of access to our minds. You can drive down the road and get influenced by billboards. You can watch the television. You don't have to watch the shows. You can watch the commercials and get influenced. And if we're not careful, if we don't spend time with God, we will be totally shaped by our world, totally shaped by peer group pressure, totally snared by man fear. And uh, uh, there is first the consideration, there is first the thought stimulation. There is the... Uh, there are two thoughts put together, which becomes consideration. Consideration becomes temptation. Temptation becomes choice. Choice becomes act. Act becomes habit. Habit becomes stronghold. And if we're not careful, the stronghold long enough may be an area of, of demonic power. Now, not even open uh, that discussion. This is not the time to discuss it. But we're discussing the matter of strongholds. I saw, for instance, in my own life, I had wrestled with the problem of prayerlessness. You say, are you over it? No, but I have a new freedom. I was across uh, the sea ministering in Southeast Asia to the missionaries, and I just preached to them on prayer. The necessity of praying always, the necessity of an ordered, disciplined prayer life, an exposure to the Word of God, and, to, uh, and uh, in prayer to God early in the morning, preferably, and... Uh, uh, and a whole life centered around a, a time of worship with God daily. And then I went back to my room while my wife continued fellowship with the missionaries, and I got on my knees and I said, God, you know, I've got a big problem in this area, and I have had it for years. I'll get convinced of the worth of prayer and say, I'm going to get up early and I'm going to pray, 
and, and I'll do that for two weeks, three weeks, or a month, and I'll settle right back down into a rut. It is as if, as if I'm pulled back supernaturally. Now, God, what's wrong? And the Lord revealed to me that there was a spiritual stronghold. This wasn't a, a willpower problem as much as it was. I had allowed the enemy areas of entrenchment. Now, I, don't, I just never have love to get up earlier. I have been searching all my life for a better way to start the day. <laughs> and God caused me to recognize that from my youth on the farm, when Daddy woke us up in the middle of the night and my feet hit the coldest floor in the county, and we had to go out and, and, do, and do work in the darkness of the night, that I began to develop a revulsion for it. And I think I said in the back of my brain, if I ever get away from here, it's going to be different. And over the years, I deliberately adopted habits that were foreign to my getting up early in the morning. Mental, physical, and spiritual were the roots of this stronghold. And I said, God, if this is true, I'm going to ask you tonight, I don't know what you, I don't know what you have to do to deliver me physically. I don't know what you'll have to do to my computer to make me look forward to getting up. But in the name of Jesus, I come against this stronghold. I refuse it. I, whatever you have to do, I want you to pull it down. I want to be able to wake up in the morning and meet you and have a meeting with you in joy and liberty. And... Uh, I, I didn't sense any emotion. I didn't hear the flutter of angels' wings, and there wasn't heavenly music. I, I just said, God, do it, and I'm going to believe you to do it. On the basis of this very passage, the weapons of our warfare, mighty through God to the pulling down of, of areas of strongholds and the casting down of imaginations, logic. I just make an airtight case. It's just logical that I act this way. If you knew what I know, you'd act this way too, you know? I mean, your reaction to people is very logical to you. Your reaction to your husband, wife, very logical to you. And casting down those imaginations. Friend, I want you to know this next morning, I was tired, I was weary, we had traveled, we had traveled for 20-some hours, and uh, I woke up the next morning as fresh as a daisy, had a joyous time of meeting with God. And uh, you, you think I'm about to tell you, it's, uh, and we've lived happily ever since. No. That area of stronghold exposed to the power of God was cleansed. But you know what? If I do not deliberately choose to continue to cooperate with God, the roots begin to grow again. Roots begin to grow again. And I, I've de dealt with other strongholds, many other strongholds. I'm coming to deal with them, I, it, it seems like uh, almost daily. Things that have been computed into my mind that take precedent over anything else because they're just there. And it takes a miracle of God for the Word of God dwelling in my heart to break through and to establish itself in the area where there's been, where there's been falsehood. I believe, I believe unreasoned fears can be stronghold, uh, strongholds. I believe that eating can be a stronghold. I believe that watching television can be a stronghold. I believe that anything to which we become habituated uh, will become in due time a spiritual stronghold and will need to be exposed to the truth of this passage in order for us to be liberated. Now let's, uh, let's talk about the demolishing of strongholds. The demolishing of strongholds. Now let's examine that passage once again. Paul said the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty through God. They're godly weapons. What are our weapons? 
Well, we, we know that the Word of God is a weapon. We know that, uh, that uh, the blood of Christ is a weapon in this sense. It indicates the work of Jesus in redemption. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. Uh, the redeeming work of Christ in the cross, the fact of that, they overcame him, made a show, they spoiled principalities and powers, made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it, in the cross. The name of the Lord Jesus, our own irrevocable commitment to him, to the Lord Jesus, all of these are instruments, weapons in the war. And so the identity of our weapons. And then the four things that happens in, in that verse. The four things that happen. The demolishing of strongholds, the pulling down of strongholds, the casting down of imaginations, the pulling down of high things, and the bringing of every thought into captivity. So, we identify the area. We own our weapons. Let's say, for instance, that this is a, this is a stronghold of, uh, of rejection. And I've, I've found some strange things about this matter of rejection. I'm not sure that any of us is totally without it. Uh, I, I grew up with a, a consuming inferiority complex. I had the best documented inferiority complex in my county. <laughs> and I, I took it to college. I grew up in a small, well, away from a small town. I mean, we, we, our town was 15 population, 25 miles from a town of above 500. We went that far to a doctor. Uh, we hunted toward town. We had uh, 150 and 11 grades, uh, seven in my graduating class. And uh, I, had a, I had a tremendous inferiority complex. And uh, gathering around that was, were feelings of self-rejection, a lack of self-esteem. Uh, and all the problems that relate around it. But let's, let's suppose that this problem is related in this area. Um, I recognize the problem. I bring it to the Lord and say, Lord, I, I can't do anything about this. I am helpless. Uh, when when uh, I, I seem to be getting my foot uh, headed in the right direction spiritually, the devil whams. And, and he takes me to the stronghold and I see this great forbidding problem in my life and then he takes me around and shows me all of the, all of the pictures on the wall of my imagination and by the time he showed me the last one, I thoroughly agree with him. There is no hope. And so, Lord, if indeed, if indeed this is truth, then right now, in the name of Jesus, I confess to you that there's a stronghold in my life and I begin to respond to it and I surround it with sins and we just build it up every time I think about it. So today, I want, I want to expose it to you. I'm going to have to have divine help. I'm going to have to have healing in my emotions. And so, Lord, I, I thank you that you have the power to do it. And right now, in the name of Jesus, I come against this stronghold and I, I thank you that the release of my faith is a cue for your going into action and all of your power is exercised in the might of this and the stronghold is crushed and with it imaginations are cast down and with it all the high things whatever they are whether it's tradition or man fear or whether it is uh, uh, whether it is a system of lies that has been computed into my mind whatever it is I'm claiming that you're pulling it down and that and that all of this well-constructed system of lies and reactions that I've been I've been caught in in involuntary response I claim victory in and I ask you to crush it in the name of Jesus 
And furthermore, I'm asking you to take captive my thought processes. And I, I don't want to be dramatic, but I want to be realistic. And I'll tell you this, in my own life I've experienced these forbidding fortresses fashioned by tradition, by some rejection real and some rejection supposed, by a combination of lies told me by my system and mistakes, violations of sin in my own life, I have seen God in his power come against these strongholds, crush them. All the imaginations, the memories still there, but you see, I don't, remind, I don't mind remembering something that came out right. <laughs> and if I can have a new imagination as that preacher had when I said, now listen to me. You see, when you, when you experienced that rejection, that little boy stopped growing in essence. And now that you're 45 or 50, when the devil punches you, you go back to that little boy and act just exactly like that little boy. I said, listen, that was a lie. And I want you to let Jesus Christ capture your thoughts. I want you to let him demolish the stronghold of the wrong system of thinking. That's a lie. Claim it a lie. Turn against it. Count as a sin every time you've agreed with it. And that's what he did. Now I said, feature the truth. You're received. You belong in the family. In the name of Jesus, you've as much right in this family as he has. Because you're in him. And he's in you. And the new system of thinking began. He wrote me a letter a few weeks later. He said, I've never experienced the kind of freedom in my life I've experienced since. Recognize it. Recognize the existence. Identify the specification. Come against it in the name of the Lord Jesus, in the Word of God. Now, this is what I firmly believe. I believe that this is truth. Contrary to what man may say or you may feel, what God has said is truth. You don't have to understand it. Helps. But it helps to believe it first. See, a lot of folks want to walk it through their computer before they agree with it. But you can trust it. Believe it. And I believe that once you establish in your mind the determination to believe that the Word of God is true if it happens to cut across every prevailing idea of the day plus the consensus of your wisdom and your emotions. It is still the truth. And when without an emotional feeling perhaps without anybody to back you up without any system of truth to say amen you say with my will I, I act upon the Word of God I with my will act upon the Word of God and God's will is activated through His Word and what I respond to in His Word becomes living reality as I release my faith and I become free in that area. Well, I will tell you the truth I doubt if there's a person here today that has uh, survived this discussion without feeling oh boy that's what that thing is and I've dealt with it from every angle that's what that is and I want to walk free today that won't be the last one there'll be others and the light of his grace will continue 
to flow into dark areas of your life and bring the light. Until one day, he comes or you go, whichever his will is, and it won't be such a tough adjustment. <laughs> you see, for a lot of folks, it's not going to be a rapture, it's going to be a rupture. <laughs> They're just not ready. And that's what he's after. He is working in your life, exposing you to truth, exposing you to circumstances, exposing you to situations in which he's trying to get you ready for that final adjustment in which he makes you totally like himself. And as you get free in these areas, you'll be a little more like him. A little more like him. Let's pray. Uh, let me just ask you before I pray. Uh, keep your heads bowed because I, I want privacy for you. How many of you would say just now, Preacher, you know, as you've talked, I believe the Lord has showed me an area and I want you to pray with me that before this day is over, I let all that abounding grace flow into that area. And I want you to pray for me. Would you just lift your hand and let me see? I might. All right. Would you just do this? Would you just say, Lord, I believe your word. And I believe that when Jesus Christ died for me and I entered into his life, it was a life of freedom. And identity with him means freedom. And Lord, even though I've claimed identification and walked into the truth, I'm still finding that like Canaan, there are little pockets of resistance. There's a king over here that hasn't let go. There's an occupied territory over here into which the victory has not walked. So, Lord, this is an area in my life. I own it. I expose it to you. And I ask you to forgive me for being defensive about it, for all the choices I've made to uh, preserve it instead of turn it over to you. So, God, I make myself vulnerable to you now. I want you to liberate me. And right now, in the name of Jesus, with a confession of my sin, I ask you to demolish the stronghold. Crush every lie that I've clung to. Cast down every imagination and every high thing that keeps me from seeing you. And take all my thoughts and then bring them captive to yourself. Now, Lord, I want to pray for these just now. I want to pray for me. And I want to thank you even for the past 24 hours in which you just keep on prodding and exposing new areas of my life to your grace. I believe. And I thank you just now that the liberating Savior is at work in me. And I want to stand fast in the liberty wherewith you've made me free, not to be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. And now, Lord, we speak freedom, freedom, right now for these who are being honest with you, son, for the first time in a long time. It's not my husband that's my problem, it's me. It's not my wife, it's me. It's not my people, it's me. It's not my preacher, it's me. It's not the world, it's me. Lord, deliver me up to yourself. And Lord, do it right now in this present moment. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.